0: Your responsibility, even though you experienced the abuse, one of the things that happens in victimhood is you're looking for someone else to rescue you. Know this. It's your responsibility to heal it, even though it
1: wasn't your fault. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders. Broken Water is an extraordinary true story recounting the incredible journey of 11 sisters who navigated through a childhood filled with abuse, neglect, and separation in the foster care system. Barbara Lane is the author. Barbara, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm just
0: thrilled to be here. I've been very excited about this.
1: Me too. This is the story of your life. You were one of 11 sisters in foster care, and then you got separated.
0: Yes. Yeah. Where do you start on such a complicated story? I could start by saying as complex as our story is, sadly, so many individuals that it'll be familiar to. We just were a huge number of girls, which made it quite a unique story, I think. My story began at the age of three when our family fell apart, I had two older sisters that were already married and out of the home. So their story began much earlier than mine and was a very different story. And by the time I came along, the ninth of 11, by the time I came along and one younger sister, our mother had gone through a lot of change in negative ways. Sadly, we say she fell from grace. She decided one day she was going to go off with a boyfriend. She had already had our father leave for a lot of reasons, which would take the whole show to Mm -hmm. explain. She may have been right in doing that, but then she just kind of had a knack for this one guy and she just packed up, took the youngest with her, which was seven months old, my little sister, Pam, left the rest of us that were, you know, still young, seven, eight of us in the apartment and she just took off. Wow! One ran away, so she didn't get involved with the foster care system at all. She had a tough road. The rest of us were swooped up and put in a Catholic orphanage. Didn't bother me one bit. I was with my sisters, which tells me in reflection, they were my everything when I was little. And I know in the orphanage, now that we've all been reunited and I've figured out what happened, they did love me and protect me and baby me. What's really hard is when you're separated from that indefinitely. Over the course of many years, I longed for them. I just missed them. And you know, they say three-year-olds don't remember, don't believe it, because I remembered very clearly each one of them. Mm. And I knew their names in order of birth. And I held on to that uh, during a horrid placement in foster care, which we could go into. You can't make it up. I'll just say it right from the top. Myself and my one sister, who's 18 months older than I, Kay, were placed in the home of a mafia grudge. We stayed there till we grew up, which is very unfortunate for us. Way back in the day, before the day of DNA testing, there were very limited ways that you could find lost family. I tried every single one that I could find. You know, I hired a private detective. I put my name on lost family registries, adoption registries, nothing. Finally, the detective found an uh, address for one of my sisters who happened to be a twin. She says, we don't know which twin this is, but you might try writing them a letter. I began my letter with, I don't know who this is going to, but this is your long lost sister, Barbie Sue, they called me. I remember that. And I'd love to get together, would you call me? Well, about a week or so later, the letter came back, no known address. And I was really, really disheartened. It's like I'm never, ever going to find them. It was like 43 years when we all were reunited, which was, I have a very strong faith, and the only way I can describe this was it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle that we all found each other. We were all alive. We were all well. We all reunited. We all loved each other, ways you can't even describe. We relived our childhood from our reunion on till we, I have to say, we're still very silly. Those of us that are still on this earthly plane, we are just so silly. We can't help it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We just simply cannot control ourselves. We don't get into serious trouble, but we cause a little commotion.
1: (laughs) So you're making up for lost time. We certainly are. And when you were in the orphanage, Uh you were placed in foster care just with one of your siblings. Were you adopted or were you fostered the whole time?
0: Well, we were fostered until my sister Kay was almost 18. Then they decided to agree to an adoption, and I will tell you exactly why. Because our cases were closed. In Missouri, closed adoption. You have access to no information. When we grew up in that home, we were not allowed to talk about our siblings or to reach out for them. They were charismatic in a way in their presentation to the outside world, but also just could make someone fearful and shake in their boots in an instant. So they employed all kinds of mechanisms to keep my sisters away, even to the point of lying and saying we were no longer placed there and they didn't know where we were. It was just quite ugh, kind of a nasty, nasty, nasty place. That's where we were. And the adoption happened when my eldest sister was almost 18 and I was almost 16. Once she turned 18, they kicked her out. And then I stayed there until I married my childhood sweetheart at 19
1: took a long time to come to terms with all of that. The fact that you talk about being three and remembering yeah. all of your siblings and it is really easy to dismiss a child. Can you talk about what it was like? Like, how did you start to face the trauma? How did you get help? So which trauma do you want me to begin? Uh-huh. Trauma
0: is Trauma has ranges, of course. Mm-hmm. My biggest core trauma for me was losing my sister's. Being placed in a very abusive foster home with severe threats, threatening with a gun, sexual abuse, physical abuse, battering, seems to me to have been secondary to that loss. One of the things that I did carry with me from my sister's bonding was that I knew that wasn't love. I knew what love was. I knew what holiness was, it, it, just in the essence of who they were. I knew the day I walked into that foster home, that wasn't right. I knew something was terribly wrong. But that core of knowing that I carried with me at three, I believe, got me through a lot of that trauma. Now, it doesn't mean that once I was out of there and once I had time to be my own person under the control of a mafia grant, imagine I needed a lot of therapy. I knew it when life just, the pieces weren't quite fitting together for me. Like I had a wonderful husband we married to this day. I had a daughter at 20. In spite of everything, was a good parent. Within myself, I didn't have that sense of comfort and peace. I believed in in Jesus, in God, and, and that strength helped me. There was something broken inside of me I just couldn't fix. So I entered therapy for many years and came to terms with probably the trauma in that foster home. As I say to you, for me, that was secondary. The thing I could not heal was the loss of my sisters. No matter what we tried, I could not. I would not let go of that. No way. No way. As a matter of fact, when they asked me to, I would say a few choice words on, there's no way you're going to make me forget about my sisters. I just will not do it. That part was could only be healed by my sisters. And when we all reunited, it was like there was a piece of my heart that literally was missing. Like Maybe I was working on half a heart, even health-wise. And we all reunited, and it was like, okay, I'm home. Okay, my heart is whole. I probably would be carrying that to this day if I had not reunited with them. I do want to share hope with people. I make it sound so dismal I couldn't get over it. But I also have shared that the therapy was successful from three to 19 living in a very abusive home because of one word, love. And so I got that from my sisters from birth to three. But you can get that at any point in your life. And that's the hope. That's the encouragement and the inspiration. I found it then and couldn't let go. But trust me, if you find that kind of what I call divine kind of love, you find it any time in
1: your life and it will heal you. You know, it's just helpful. Just that you have this greater sense of, I don't know mm-hmm. if I want to call it forgiveness or letting go, but like you had mm-hmm. this horrendous experience and it mm-hmm. wasn't even the worst but that you had something that carried you through. And part of it was that you were longing for these sisters. So what was the process you had 10 to find? So it took 43 years.
0: had one visit that I could remember, probably a social worker pushed it. And I don't remember how old I was, maybe five, six, seven. I really don't know. But I carried that with me as well. I did all these things that could be done back in the day and nothing was happening and I'm going to just do spoiler alert here. Here, You know, what I forgot to do was ask. I tried to do it all myself. One of the things we used to do when my kids were younger, we used to take the month of August and go to Bethany Beach on the Delaware shore. And we had this little tiny condo we rented, but it was great for us. It's been a month and play in the surf and sand. We were getting ready to go. This was 97. So that's quite a while ago for that month long visit. It was in our kitchen and it was bringing things that you use when you're going to be gone a month, you need some things that you're used to cooking with. So I was pulling that all together. I had a premonition. It was like, oh, and I Heard in my mind's eye, if that makes any sense, why didn't you just ask if you wanted to find your sisters? Oh, I'm trying to do this myself. That premonition part was a positive thing because with that realization came an understanding and a knowingness. I knew that after all that time of searching, my sisters were going to find me. And I knew it was going to happen in three days. The significance of three in my Christian upbringing. There's a ton of threes in there. I just knew it. I knew it like I'm speaking to you right now. We went to the beach and on the third morning, I got up all excited because I knew this is the day. I got up before my family did. I made them breakfast, put on the table I grabbed a beach towel and a blanket and went out on the beach. And I wasn't out there 10, 15 minutes and Our little condo we rented was right on the boardwalk. I was right out beyond it. My husband opens the slatter door and, Barbara, I knew, just dropped everything, ran in that condo, and he said, sit down. And I said, they found me, didn't they? tears like crazy. He said, how did you know? Now, how do you explain that? How do you put words on these kinds of experiences? That's how it happened on my side. I guess the spirit or they say God works in strange ways. My second eldest sister's name was Ellen, and she was longing for all the sisters as well. Now, I always say my sisters were like kind of cast in the wind. They were just spread in in the wind but if they really tried hard enough they could find one or two and then they did on occasion one or two new and then they drift again there just wasn't the core to get them together and my sister Ellen wanted to do that she was trying to reach out to those sisters who she knew where they were keep in mind no one knew where we were because of the lies. Her son had his friend over, who is a known criminal. Actually, I hear he's in jail today. That's why I say God works in strange ways. And so my sister Ellen started shedding a few tears. Her son's friend said, what's wrong? Why are you crying? She told him the story. And he said, what do you know about them? He said, I just have this little picture of them. It was in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch when they were little with these foster parents. But i no, they're not there anymore. Give that to me. He went to St. Louis somehow from Kentucky. My sister Ellen lives in Kentucky. Went to St. Louis. The next day came back with my sister Kay's phone number. Now how he did it, he says Mm -hmm. it's true or not, who knows how story goes, right? That he bribed a clerk and got her marriage license somehow and got her number. So he calls my sister Kay. Kay doesn't know what to do with this. Her experience of Our whole life was very different than mine, even though we had the same experience. But she didn't have that longing and she didn't have that. She didn't think she did anyway, let's put it that way. She calls my husband and says, you know, I got this phone call from probably our sister's What should I do with it? He said, Give me the numbers. (laughs) We got the phone numbers. And the interesting part is, once we all got together, I was to learn that many of us have that kind of connection with each other, that psychic togetherness, like we know when one is sick or we know when one's going to call or we, we just know. So the very next day, those of us who could flew to St. Louis for our first reunion. There were eight of us there. I threw myself into the arms of my sisters. I knew their smell. I I knew their touch. Their eyes looked the same. We shed so many tears. I can't even begin to tell you. And then we all became like six and got really silly and had fun and cried some more. In September, two weeks later, the rest of us who couldn't make it, we gathered in Kansas for a full sister reunion with cousins and cousins and hundreds and hundreds of cousins because there's so many of us. And that's when I met my youngest sister, Cindy, whom I didn't even know I had, which were like as close as... I
1: can't tell you. We all are. So
0: aren't we lucky?
1: All your life, you thought there was 10 of you, but there was actually 11. 11, right.
0: And then I find out there's two more that were born and adopted as infants. One's a girl. And are you ready for this? One boy. We haven't been able to find them. I have been on DNA sites to see if they just kind of surfaced. And I would imagine I could find them with a a private detective now, but I also know from my eldest sister telling me they were adopted as infants. They might not know anything about all of this, and we could demolish their lives. It could happen. I had a friend that happened to. She didn't know about her adoption. Just she was at her adoptive mother's funeral and somebody got angry and told her and she's not been through it yet. Then I figure, well, the book's out there. It's being well received. You're doing media. Thank you so much. If they know, they'll find us.
1: Which goes back to what your original thing was when you said, they'll find me.
0: Yes. Tell me about the
1: name Broken Water.
0: Water has many... Symbols for many people. But as you watch water, in, in the book Broken Water, I am drawn back to a place I was allowed to visit when I was 14, but I was finally allowed to leave the house when I turned 14. I, I was allowed to visit a friend of mine who lived in the, by the Black River in the Ozar, and I fell in love with the river. The river was mystical. The water would break over the rock. The river had waterfalls where water breaks. I love the ocean. The waves break. Broken water is symbolic. Also, as a woman, there's a story my eldest sister told me. When my mother was pregnant with me, she was in labor forever. And I think I'm an old soul who simply did not want to be born. I just didn't want to do it. My eldest sister was 16, standing in the kitchen barefoot next to my mother when her water broke. And she said it just gave her the heebie-jeebies. She just wanted to get sick. So they rushed my mother off to the hospital, and she had to clean that up. And it occurred to me, I don't have any connections with my biological mother at all. I have one. I've had babies. I've had the experience of water breaking. And it somehow, oddly, connected me to my mother. And water,
1: of course, is so symbolic of life. Renewal, I thought it was an appropriate title for this book. We're talking with Barbara Lane. Her book is Broken Water, an extraordinary true story. Eleven sisters abandoned and abused, reunited after 43 years, and they all share their stories in here. Barbara, when I was looking through Talking points. I Mm -hmm. love that you talk about aging out of the foster system. I, there's so many things, so many points that I think are really important. What are some things that you really want people to know? Uh, Pay attention. We live in the myth of the
0: happy family still. And what you see on the outside isn't always what's going on in the inside. We were actually featured in the St. Louis Post Dispatch as the ideal foster family behind that photo, the reality of what was truly going on. But if people pay attention, in our case, they would have noticed we weren't allowed to leave the house. We weren't allowed to have friends over. We were very quiet. My sister often had bruises on her face. And I know it was back when they say no one spoke about these things. I am going to sadly tell you Today, a lot of people don't want to speak about these things, and so they don't pay attention almost on purpose. It's a hurtful topic. No one wants to hear this stuff, but we have to hear it. We have to listen. We have to pay attention. child is bruised, or they're not clean, or you notice that they aren't allowed to do the things normal kids should be doing there's a problem so that's number 1 it's just please everyone pay attention
1: and along that i want to hear more but if mm-hmm. i'm paying attention and i see that mhm as a neighbor, whatever, what is the best thing for me to do? Never confront the family. You call social services.
0: You can do it anonymously if you're very, very nervous about your well-being, but do call. Now, keep in mind, their Child Protective Services is overwhelmed with reports, but they'll make a note every time you call and everything you see. So one call may not do it. Two calls may not do it, you know, but take notes. Make sure when you call, say, I saw this and now I'm seeing this, or I'm seeing this again. I'm highly concerned. You might have to pester them because they have so many cases. It's not that they don't want to help. It's that, you know, how much can they do? But you can help. So you call your child protective services as many times as it
1: takes. So good. Thank you.
0: If you are a victim, the best thing you can do to stop this cycle, trauma has a way of seeping out in other ways that you're not even aware of, your responsibility, even though you experienced the abuse, one of the things that happens in victimhood is you're looking for someone else to rescue you. could be that person, that boyfriend or that girlfriend, who turns out being the worst thing and a replicate of what you experienced in your childhood. Know this, it's your responsibility to heal it, even though it wasn't your fault. Even if you were born with an illness that you could treat and you grow up, it's your responsibility to treat the illness. It's your responsibility to heal from child abuse. Sounds horrible, I know, but it's the truth. And you're going to feel so much better when you take responsibility for that because then you put it all behind you. Now it's my life, you know, and I'm going to get it right. So that's important. If you haven't had that experience, I also think when you're working with children, uh, abused children, or traumatized children. Put yourself in therapy anyway, because things seep out in ways that you don't know, transferences or what have you. So as you could tell, I'm a big advocate of therapy, good therapy. It's not all good, but there's a lot of good therapy out there. So you know yourself really well, and then you can really help kids. I'm just such an advocate for Court appointed advocates. I spent many years doing that myself. It's such a powerful way to help kids, just volunteering, mentorship. There's just so much that can be done. Money. If you have money, give it to a local charity that provides clothes or suitcases for children in foster care. I always say, if you're a beautician, ask them if you can donate haircuts, that much that means to a child to look kind of normal or, you know, like they fit in. There's just so much. Pray. Whatever that means to you or to someone else, it's not the same for everyone. Prayer can be a smile at a child that you think is feeling kind of bad that day. That to me is like the strongest prayer you could ever give.
1: Pray and then get busy doing something about it. So one other thing is you talk mm-hmm. about the power of premonition. Is that a little mm-hmm. different than instinct? I think that it's a a grace induced experience
0: we can all have. I think that grace provides intuition I think we all have. Yes, and we're all open to grace, but sometimes grace pours over in your soul and that knowingness, you cannot help but follow it. You Just must follow it because it will help in prevention of things. It will help in the healing. In my practice, I would have a client walk in. I'd have a premonition. I knew their whole life already. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is intrusive of them, is it not? And I almost felt guilty for having that happen Till my therapist said to me, boy, you're looking at that all wrong. (laughs) Why don't you view it as you were given a gift on the best way to perhaps lead that individual to healing. Oh, Okay, so premonition to me, it generally denotes there's something negative going to happen and you get an awareness of it. But it can also be that something positive is going to happen if you partake in a particular thing. Intuition is closely related. And I think if we can follow our intuition, our inner guidance, you know, we'll be on track. Sometimes we just think, oh, is that just a silly thought? Mm -hmm. People have asked me, how do I separate my inner wisdom, my intuition from just a thought that's rambling around the chatter in my brain. I say that intuition will always be for the good. You'll know. I'm an ordained ministerial counselor. My background's in family psychology, human behavior, social sciences, and I got my master's. And then for me, the way my therapist treated me I said she loved me through faith and she was not a religious therapist. So this has nothing to do with I'm Catholic or I'm Jewish or I'm Christian or I'm, it's a faith and this is what's so important and why I decided to do ministerial counseling is faith in the person you're working with that they've got what it takes to, to heal themselves and faith that you can be Observer and the support along the way is an act of love, loving through faith in each other. I thought the best way to do that would be to do ministerial counseling and be free to speak of all that stuff.
1: Barbara Lane, and she is the author of Broken Water An Extraordinary True Story. We can get this book where? You can get it on Amazon. You can
0: get it just about anywhere. You can get it on my website. And I just put out a little companion book to it, if people are interested. What are the steps you took to heal from your trauma? Not my sister-in-law's, but the sexual abuse, the beatings. And I could really outline them into nine steps. So I decided to put them in a little book, and I call it a little workbook, short workbook, pretty directive. And it's just what your inner child knows. And it's 9 Steps to Rescue Your Abused and Your Child. And what is your website?
1: info. Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: And thank you. This has been such a pleasure. And thank you so much for sharing this.
1: I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening And today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue talking with people who are making a difference.